needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Ty and Vitrill Hot Springs. I'm Charlie Atheridge Nunn, a writer, and I've got worms. Also, also, I'm a Venom fan. I'm Miles Lobato, a science fiction writer and a fan of the X-Men character Maggot, who has two sentient um, maggots in him called Eenie and Miney. Meanie. Eenie and Meanie. Eenie and Meanie. Fake Hell fan. Yeah. Fake fan. <laughs> oh, we love Maggot here. And we're joined by a special guest. Yes, I am Melanie Lemington Smythe Colonization. <laughs> what are you a fan of, Melanie? <laughs> I and and I'm a fan of the uh I'm a fan of the uh, Shazam, Miss uh, Captain Marvel villain, uh, Mister Mind, who is a wow. small <laughs> worm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yes, the true villain of the comic Fifty Two. Ah, oh, love Mister Mind. I I was very deeply disappointed that it looks like that 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 uh, sting, post credit stinger is never getting followed up in live action. Yeah, it's, I I'm sorry, I can't do the stupid accent anymore. This isn't a Janesville Community Theater production of A Christmas Carol. Uh, this is actually Celeste's Best from uh, the Celeste's Best YouTube channel and um and the Nerd and Tie podcast. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yes, I feel I feel butchering the English accent is justified after last time where we did some very bad Wild West <laughs> cowboy accents. I like that episode. To be fair, I really enjoy it. But uh, but yeah, no. Uh, um, uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, you you neither of you were quite in terms. No, of the, I, the, the the great thing is people. I'm actually really bad at doing accents, which is really funny because most Americans I meet assume that I'm really good at doing accents. I'm like, no, I just sound like this. Miles, I'm going to hurt you really quick. And Charlie, I guess by extension, uh, in <laughs> when I was in uh, college, I went to a small science fiction convention where they had a one, one Dalek there and I I went to it dressed as the tenth doctor, and um, I did an accent for a couple of like uh, of folks who uh, asked me to, and a reporter from the Stevens Point newspaper is like, "Oh, are you from England?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was just me doing my David Tennant impression. It was not. It was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I've I've fled from a life-size Dalek before, but um, mm. yeah, I've never dressed as a Doctor. I have dressed as the Master, though, the, uh, oh, nice. the Delgado one. I, I feel, oh. you know... Second best Master. Yes. Second, who's your first? Missy. Oh, that's it's, good. It's always going to be, it's always, like, Delgado, what, what do you think I was going to say, Eric Roberts? I'm, you know... Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> to be fair, Eric Roberts was my first master. My introduction to Doctor Who was the TV movie. So, yeah. <laughs> God, amazing. So, my um... Twitch is terrible. Hello? <laughs> I, I always dress for the occasion. All the casual Trek listeners are like, did they get the that trans girl who talks about robots on the YouTube? What is going on? <laughs> and somehow we're not talking about robots. I did wonder whether the topic we would cover would somehow become like Gundam or something. But, um, we've not figured out like multiple Star Trek episodes that could even be related to Gundam. Like, I, I think there is like a comic which has giant Gundam sized robots in it. Mm. Um, I, I think I remember if I remember one of them flips the Enterprise the bird. There oh. is a there was that Transformers, um, not Gundam, but there was a Transformers Star Trek IDW book. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I think it's uh, Fortress Maximus plugs into the NCC 1701 oh, and it turns into a big robot. <laughs> like... <laughs> nice. So, um, so yeah, normally we, we like talking about Star Trek episodes from different shows. We put them on a big list. And today, as we have our special guest star, Celeste, we're going to be looking at the Trill. Um, you guys big Trill fans? The gayest Star Trek race, honestly. <laughs> 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 so, yes, I, I adore them. I absolutely do. Um... Growing up in the 90s, watching Star Trek with my dad, a lot of Deep Space Nine. So, uh, Jadzia Dax was a big part of my uh, formative, um, uh, very, my closeted gay brain, very formative memories from just really Jadzia Dax in general. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if Jadzia wasn't such a great character, would we have cared much about Vitril? But yeah, they, like, she was. So much fun all through that, uh, compared to what we'll cover for their introduction prior to Jadzia. I was, was going to say, when we talk about the TNG episode, you've got a very <laughs> strong argument already, not the yeah. poison the well, but yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I admit, like, Dax and Bashir are my two favorite DS9 characters. And not just because anyone, any of the people in the blue kind of level tend to be my favorites i don't even know if i can pick a favorite because like i like um i i love jadzia so much just in general but i you know i i like bashir and um and uh o'brien's friendship i like yeah. watching Odo uh uh bully quark um uh avery brooks is the one of the coolest human beings who has ever lived you know it's just there's so much going yeah like, oh, there's such a yeah. really good cast. Like, I'd probably say, like, O'Brien and Odo are my two favorite characters because they're the two I relate to the most. Mm. And, and not just because, um, as Star Trek tells us, anyone called Miles must suffer. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone who, like, any, I feel later in life watching DS9 and going, fuck. Miles O'Brien. Oh, you are infinitely <laughs> more relatable now as an actor. That's terrible. <laughs> Could be worse. At least you're not 14 relating to Bashir. Yes. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> so before we before we go on, uh, Celeste, just as a brief thing, what what's your history with Star Trek? Uh, full disclosure: a couple of a uh, couple of months back, you guys did that uh, lovely tribute to my father, the Worf fan, mm. and my my late father was a big fan of Star Trek. Growing up, I gr- I grew up in a very science fiction uh, friendly household, and a lot of my earliest memories with Trek were watching it with my dad. In fact, the earliest memory I have of really engaging with and enjoying something with my father on television was watching a rerun of Best of Both Worlds. Wow. Like, nice. That just the like the 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 pants crappingly scary ending of part one and how much that really just that really stuck with me and I really enjoyed watching Star Trek with my dad. It was one of those things that we got really into. And when I was young, I really liked Next Generation especially, but Deep Space Nine and Voyager were the ones currently airing. So, uh, and I could always tell my dad was super into Deep Space Nine. So I think that made me vibe with that one even more. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't know. Um, I think even uh, uh, critical baby Celeste was uh, being picky about writing even back to when Voyager was airing when it was like, yeah, this is a bit dodgy, isn't it? (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, no, uh, I've been so I've been a Trek fan for as long as I can remember. Uh, There's never been I don't think there's ever been a point where I haven't considered myself a Trek fan. Literally, my first girlfriend in college, I met because we talked about Star Trek for an afternoon. Like, it has been that much of my... <laughs> it's been very much that much of my life. So, despite primarily being um, the uh, the trans girl who talks about uh, queer readings of robot anime... Um, Star Trek's always there. There's Star Trek uh, episodes on my YouTube channel, just no one watched them. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so it's just something I've always been extremely fond of, and I still am right now. Thus why I was so excited to join you guys on the show. <laughs> Excellent. Before we crack on with our first Trill episode, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying? Oh, me specific? Uh, uh, yeah, we'll start with yeah. you. You're the guest. Okay, yeah. Uh, so um, I'm gonna disappoint no one. Uh, I'm still coping with the loss of my dad and figuring some stuff out. So mm. I've been really deep diving into uh, modern Yuri anime. Uh, Yuri is uh, the subgenre of girls' love, or uh, basically lesbian anime. And there's um, not only has there been a lot of really quality stuff lately, but it's been very politically uh, in tune with me because a lot of them, including some highlights, I'm in love with the villainess, uh, reincarnated princess and the genius young lady, terrible title, great show, uh, and uh, the executioner and her way of life. Even the most recent Gundam entry really have these themes of queer liberation on its own isn't enough. The system needs to be uh, upended as well. Excellent. So uh, I love all of them. They're beautiful, sometimes funny, sometimes heartbreaking shows about girls who like girls. So uh, I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Moles, what about you? So I've been what I started watching a soap opera from the 60s earlier last week. 
I started watching a show called Dark Shadows. Oh God! <laughs> which is a, a a gothic soap opera, which was doing so poorly in the ratings, they they had to find a way to boost attention. So three hundred episodes in, this very kind of mundane gothic themed soap opera had a vampire to have to have them discover that there's a, va- there's a vampire in the basement. And it only just kind of escalates from there, I think, as in all great soap operas. I think time travel is involved at some point. So I was like, I'm, I'm bored. Uh, I'll just check out this dumb soap opera. It was giving me 60s Who vibes because it's clearly being filmed on no money, on like free sets, and it's all being filmed as live. So the, ca- so the actors are basically having to get it as close to one take as possible. Yeah, it's 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 been um it's fun and dumb and I actually decided to start with the non-vampire episodes just to oh see God. just to see kind of see where it comes does Delgrassi have a vampire? Uh so Degrassi did have a like short track style mini seasons and there was a zombie mini series in part <laughs> of it. They, they also did a Terminator one as well. Um so you know, not vampires, but close. Yeah, Grange Hill never. Grange Hill never had a Terminator, despite that school's insanely high body count. Well, yeah, maybe that'd have helped. <laughs> um, yeah, God, I kind of wish EastEnders at some point when it's been thirty years. Let's put a vampire on, in a basement. Yeah, I like. I, I, like, I, I always like it when people go on about how like. Game of Thrones is this really dark, gritty show, and I'm like, okay, guys, look up EastEnders. They had a crib death storyline on Christmas Day. Yeah, was it Martin Kemp beating his girlfriend to death with an ashtray at one point? You know, more than likely. Yeah, like, <laughs> C- C- Celeste, you have to like very infamously in this in this soap opera um, during one Christmas Day episode, a character Dirty Den. Uh-huh. Gave his wife divorce papers, and that was like a rating smash for eighties British TV. So it's the ca- and this is a a soap opera that has been going on since the eighties. So you have to understand the insane levels of escalation. I believe there was a flash forward, ser- a flash forward, and a serial killer storyline in the last year. Well, um, I'm so. Okay, you know, you gotta... You I know, know that there was a murderous child at one point. I'm, I'm sure, I, You like, know, I respect any show that could keep going for that long, even and, if it even if it, it left the rails, like, and, more and than a decade ago. The, the, the thing is, the difference between US daytime soap operas, uh-huh. which are all insane, is that all British soap operas kind of go for this kitchen sink neo-realism. Okay. And so everything is kind of, you know, very much like that style of, of like post-war British cinema where everything feels very gritty and kitchen sink. So right. you've got this very grounded, realistic world and characters, but the fucking insanity that goes on in that, I, I, I tell you. <laughs> uh, I, I was an, a regular watcher for over a decade uh, during oh my, my teenage years, and you can see the craft. Like, again, it's not a good... <laughs> show but the grind that they do i think the same way that i love ongoing comics you know i love mm-hmm. the 
Batman's been going on for so many years. And, you know, the same with X-Men hitting this point now with the Whedon run and things like that, where that it's had so much unhinged madness to go with. And yeah, Whedon's obviously not read Excalibur, so he keeps writing Kitty Pride's if nothing changed since like 1982, 83 or so for her. But he's still taking pulls from that kind of era. You know, it's... Yeah, any of that kind of soap operatic nonsense, I kind of admire. It's that that joy of like serialized narrative of like mm. trying to exp- like um another one of my obsessions because like th- that's not something new for human storytelling. Like one of my other obsessions is Arthurian mythology, and yeah. it is fun. Like Gawain's depiction from story to story can be drastically different, and it's all the same guy. But it's different writers. Um, the original Percival story actually was unfinished. And before the, the popular Wolfram von Eschenbach uh, Percival retelling, uh, you had other people coming in. And it, it feels like when there's a really good comic run and then like a rubbish writer takes over after <laughs> like a, a writer you really like comes in who will be like, and then in this chapter, Gawain shows up and he's the new main character now. It's like, oh. Oh. oh, okay. The story's called Percival. Okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fantastic Four was like that. I did a marathon of the entire run of it, and you'd get a good run, a temporary writer who was garbage, and then another solid writer, and it'd just keep doing that for years. Um, it's almost like you're the improv game of Yes And. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. And so, Charlie, what mm-hmm. non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying? So, I've been watching a show by Nathan Felder called The Curse. And I I love Nathan Felder's rehearsal and Nathan For You. They are horrendously awkward, like difficult watches, but fascinating to see. Nathan Felder's a, a really weird little guy. And I love him. It's It's been great fun. The Curse is shot... So often, like, it's a horror movie. You know, seeing online someone going, oh, so Nathan Felder's discovered David Lynch then. Um, <laughs> especially with the finale. And it was like, well... <laughs> like, um, have either of you seen it and seen the ending? I, I, I haven't have, watched it yet. I Me have too. not, but just, I have this... Um, you, you, since this is a vis- an audio medium, the moment you were said, you know, you said, "Oh, someone going, oh, so it's like David Lynch." Then I, I threw my hands up to the the heavens and silently screamed because I have this Pavlovian reaction to anything being referred to as. It's like when One Division, yeah, came out and everyone's going, "Oh, it's so Lynch." Is like, no, no, this is not this is not Lynchian. You you come Americana like ooh Americana. But it's weird. Is is not lit? Okay, Americana. But it's weird. Is Lynchian, but not. Yeah, One Division is not Lynchian. So with this, you get a kind of glorious sense of discomfort watching all of it as Nathan Felder and Emma Stone play a couple who are trying to do a reality show called Fliplanthropy, where um, they're basically trying to flip homes and make them kind of sustainable passive homes and try and reinvigorate a local place called Española in uh, New Mexico. And 
their their attempts at being benevolent and being you know politically aware and uh, sensitive to things like the uh, the indigenous folks there or anything like that are so so horrifically uncomfortable like that watching that selfishness of extremely wealthy people trying to seem like good people and um the final episode i'm not going to spoil anything but it is someone that has the anxiety it i have had the anxiety dream that that episode Mm. basically is uh, exactly that kind of thing it it was fascinating to see and i one of those finales that i had to start looking online and going what on earth did people make of this because i'm <laughs> breathless with the whole thing i i i don't i might i i want to check it out but like the bear gives me anxiety um mm, it's such a good show it's such a, it's it. a, such a good show but speaking of someone who has worked in catering and look uh hannah's worked around professional chefs and has opinions about professional chefs. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I w- watching a show in that environment kind of gave me flashbacks to working at the Hilton. Well, if you want to see some some wealthy philanthropists who are just increasingly terrible and and terrible fates and such for before then, then you know, I could watch Zardoz for that. I guess. I guess. I mean, you're just going to watch Zardos anyway. Miles, it can't yes. always be Zardos. <laughs> <laughs> it can always be Zardos. There was always, there was always time for Zardos. Well, uh, not today though, because it's time to talk about Star Trek. First of all, we've got Star Trek: The Next Generation, Season Four, Episode Twenty Three, titled "The Host." Uh, this aired on the 13th of May, 1991, written by Michael Horvat, directed by Marvin V. Rush. The UK and US number one hits. Uh, the UK had Share with the Shoop Shoop song, It's in His Kiss, and the US had Roxette with Joyride. Hmm. Okay, I don't think we've ever had a, a, a number one song pair up so wonderfully with the episode we're watching then the chef song Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, so the ship song's a bop it, it it's like I, I i wanted to download movie maker and quickly just rush off a music video <laughs> of this episode set to this song oh, the way you'd get kids doing like a youtube video of a compilation of some anime with like linkin park in the background or something <laughs> just for shoot shoot song with the scenes <laughs> with odan and crusher uh to that yeah um i mean that said joyride That's is my culture fun. careful <laughs> <laughs> like the the shoot shoot song was was really fun it's uh, um joyride felt like something from the 80s it had that very kind of eighties, eighties kind of synth pop flavor. Both of these songs, I would not. If you would have said these songs came out, uh, like, uh, excuse me, uh, contemporaneously with Next Generation, I would not have believed you. I'd be yeah. like, these both feel old, like older than this episode. It, it, it's like, was it a few weeks ago when we had a uh, Meatloaf? 
yeah, the meatloaf. Uh, the song meatloaf was also. <laughs> I think that's kind of been the fun part of next gen, just seeing like the eighties bleed into the nineties. Yeah, that kind um, of pre-Nirvana, pre-Britpop kind of music scene. I'm not saying I'm a fan of that scene for the most part, but yeah, you can kind of see why why these musical changes happened. Yeah. TN, it's, it's, this, this is an episode that I've never seen before. So mm. I had never seen this episode. <laughs> and uh, I don't know that we're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say it's worse than Child Death Machine, but... Whew, well, okay. I mean, I guess we can get rolling on it. All right. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to give us a recap. Okay. I am just getting the timer set. I've got five minutes. And, um, okay. Uh, Charlie, I want you to try and recap this episode. Um, try not to get a slug implanted in your belly. Hmm. Oh god, nothing, nothing should have to deal with this body. Like it's, it's a used car, really, a broken down used car. A Trill would be very upset to be installed. Four minutes fifty seconds. Oh dear. So, uh, Wesley, uh, <laughs> Beverly Crusher's log mentions how Wesley doesn't really write anymore, but uh, she doesn't actually give a shit about that because she's been seeing a visiting ambassador from Trill called Odan. Data meets him in a turbo lift and really can't read the room when they want some alone time. Uh, once he is alone, though, the ambassador rubs his belly and something's moving there, like a whole weird empreg kind of situation. Uh, Picard arranges a meeting between Ambassador Odan and Governor Lika Tyri Tyrion? That's probably autocorrect. From Peliar Zell, who wanted to intercept the Enterprise and brief Odan on things. The people of the Alpha and Beta Moons have a dispute going on. They look like they might be preparing for war. Odan has previous with them, so is here to stop it. And also to make time with Beverly Crusher. Troy heads to a salon. News! Enterprise has a salon. And he's <laughs> Crusher there with an eye mask. in a, And... Her hand in some weird green goo, and she she doesn't normally come to places like this. And Troy's like, "Hey, I can tell you're in love, and not just because I've got empathic powers." <laughs> um, she also sent something weird about Odan, and well, we'll put a pin in that. Crusher doesn't care though; she says she's happy, and she's not going to bother questioning anything. Might be coming up later that Picard chats with Odan and finds out he's got no game plan for the peace talks, nothing written down, just in case anything unfortunate happens or anything. He's great at winging it. He's done a lot of research. This sounds like me before I deliver a presentation. But <laughs> Odan asks if Crusher would ever consider leaving Starfleet, and Picard avoids the question. Odan doesn't want to use a transporter, and uh, Riker has to shuttle him to the talks, which seems inadvisable. And sure enough, oh my god, a ship appears. It opens fire. And even though the shuttle gets back to the Enterprise, Odan is horrendously hurt. Over in sickbay, Crusher doesn't understand the readings she's seeing with Odan. There's some kind of parasite in him. And Odan manages to stir enough to go, he is the parasite. They need to get word to Trill and get a replacement host body. 
uh, but there needs to be a temporary one. And Riker volunteers. He can't wait to get this kind of thing happen. Um, even though a human has never been a host for one before. The surgery, it's a success. And this massive, slightly weirdly colored slug is pulled out of Odan's body and shoved into Riker's. His brainwaves go weird and then they level out. Riker wakes up, says he's fine, calling Crusher Dr. Beverly, just like Odan did. And he seems oddly more calm and measured in how he talks. Uh, they call this into Teleka, and the Moonies might be suspicious of Odan wearing like a Starfleet flesh suit, but they're still going to try. Uh, Crusher checks in on Riker and asks, why didn't Odan tell her about the whole slug thing? And he's like, I oh, know, but I still love you. And Crusher isn't so sure. As she admits to Troy and Ten Forward, Riker is a lot more like a brother to her. So it's really weird seeing Odan wearing him. Uh, Troy talks about her love for her dad and his loss and how, you know, if Crusher can feel love, even after the, the unfortunate death of Odan, then maybe, maybe she should accept it. And there's a, a charged glance between her and Riker slash Odan. The Alpha and Beta Moon reps both show up and Odan has to prove who he is giving some history and then mentioning a botched assassination which was kept off the books in the last peace talks. They're like, okay, you're legit. We're going to go away and have a think. And Riker looks really pained now. In sickbay, Riker's getting worse as his body's uh, rejecting Odan. Crusher gives him some painkillers and he gets up and leans for a kiss, but Crusher can't bring herself to do that yet. Uh, the sides are open to a negotiation. And Odan is sounding a bit more like Riker now. And the new host is 18 hours away. There's been some space turbulence. It's not looking great. Crusher calls in on Odan to check his symptoms. And after a, a heated, hushed conversation, the pair kiss. Now it's meeting time. And the Moonies are getting ready for the meeting. But so are all their forces. They're preparing for a war if these talks go bad. Oh, oh, oh. Oh no! The talks have gone badly. The, the talks have gone badly. You were doing, you were doing really well. Oh. I, I, I just want to say, do yeah. you want some mood? Do you want some mood killer? Oh. If you talk, if you talk about how you know, you know how you ha you're conflicted about you know your new boyfriend, and um, your friend goes, "Let me tell you about my dad." Yeah, that. <laughs> I, I was watching that and going, "Ha! Huh. Oh." <laughs> That's not the relationship. Yeah, let's let Troy cook, but this event is going somewhere. <laughs> you, look, look, I, I, I am conflicted about um doing the nasty with my with uh, my my boyfriend because he's currently wearing my coworker as like a zentai suit. Yeah, but I really miss my dad. <laughs> So, Celeste, this is this is not directed at you. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, but think about what if I started doing that to anyone who gives who asks me for relationship advice from now on. <laughs> Do it, definitely, or like just any advice in general. Like, you know, I've been thinking about getting a, a good savings account or something. Like, well, you know, you know, who else had a savings account? My dad. It's like when people came to me, used to come to me with, with, for relationship advice. I'm like, I am dating a girl I met on Yahoo Messenger who lives in Wisconsin. I am the last person you think to be going to for dating advice. 
<laughs> oh, also, wow. also, do you know, I also just really miss my dad. I just miss my dad. Yeah. That's... <laughs> uh, okay. Let's, let's try and drive I, this home. Okay. Get those peace talks done, Charlie. Yeah. Go. Okay. Odan's going to have some difficulty with these peace talks. Speaking of that, he's really unwell, but he's going to press on. He will need to be removed from Riker's body soon in order to keep Riker alive, even if it means Odan's death. Picard looks like he wants to ask Beverly whether she fucked Riker, but he just says, it's all right, I'm here for you as a friend. Oh dear. This is, like, for Picard, that's boiling with rage. That kind of thing. (laughs) Six hours passed, and the Trill ship is even slower. It's like nine hours away now. Odan stumbles out and says, it was worth it, and then collapses. Uh, brilliant close to a meeting. Um, they're not going to go to war, but Odan is dying now. Uh, Crusher operates on Riker, and he's fine. Odan's slug gets put into stasis until the new host arrives, and this new host... This is Kareel and is a woman, which uh, it's like, oh, here's the new host, Kareel Odan. The surgery is a success. Odan says, I still love you, Bev. And Beverly says uh, her problem here is she can't live with the idea of someone changing bodies like this. It's a it's a real mindfuck to deal with. Like changing a body again and again. Maybe, maybe one day she'd be fine with it, but not now. Odan kisses her hand, kind of weirdly, and then leaves, and that's the end. Well, one minute and thirty-eight seconds. Okay, so I, I have I have a question for both of you. Do you do you think there was a point in, when uh, Picard and uh, Crusher have a relationship between Picard season three and Trek? Do you ever think there was a point when Beverly said the words, mm, you kiss just like Riker? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, boy. That's... <laughs> it's not even like the... To me, that's not even the most awkward thing about this episode, which is which is, which is, is an indictment against the writers, frankly. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, like... Didn't uh, love that. Didn't love uh, that ending. Did you know what? <laughs> The beginning. So uh, I do want to say, I really, at the beginning of this episode, I'm like, I've never seen this one before. This is a really cool concept. Uh, Dear God, Odan has a lot of chest hair. It's kind of imposing. Oh no, his belly's acting like mine after I eat too much Taco Bell. Like I was really relating to this guy. (laughs) And then it was like, oh, okay, wait, where are we going? And like, I understand that you know, fans hadn't assigned like as much of a trans allegory to the trills yet. But as soon as Beverly starts talking about like um, the uh, change in bodies, I'm like, I'm feeling kind of attacked right now. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting one for that. I I don't think I ever. Like, you don't hear enough of them talking to other people about their relationships on the ship. So hearing Bev go. Riker's kind of like my brother, you know. Um, that was an interesting one. That think, was that. Uh, that was also kind of weird because I've uh, like I'm not going to pretend I'm the TNG expert, but I never really I read them as co-workers. I never read them as yeah. especially siblingly. Yeah, 
No. No, I mean, admittedly, this is the place for people that are fairly casual on the lore of all of this. But I, 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 mean, I mean, they hang out and play poker. Yeah. Like, that, like, that's it. Now, now, keep in mind, I don't have any siblings. So, like, I'm an only child. So, I maybe you guys could tell me anything sibling-like, and I'll be like, oh, okay. Like... <laughs> Huh? I mean, someone yeah. had to sit me down and go, "Yeah, that thing in Game of Thrones, that's weird." Oh, good. I, I was, <laughs> I thought that was gross. I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sibling relationships have mo- for me and my brother have mostly been some some mild violence uh, against each other, and then against anyone who threatens the other one as well. Um, okay. Yeah, 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 and a lot of sarcasm. Yeah. My my brother is ten years older than me and was has been doing martial arts in some way, shape, or form since he was twelve. So there was no there was no attempts at violence. No, because he could kick my ass. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's interesting seeing the trill so early. Uh, I'm definitely yeah. pleased they changed the makeup because here. Here you've got that kind of just generic, we put whatever on their face kind of thing. And it, it just looks fairly, fairly dull. And I guess like your alien species of the week would have, which they are. I, I didn't realize how much I liked the spots until mm. they weren't there. Yeah. I was like, oh. Um. Yeah. I don't know if they ever explain that difference, whether this is just some odd subset of Trill or something. But yeah, it it probably, it's probably like the same with the Klingons. It's just like they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, we'll just not refer to it, and they have spots now. And on that note, the I feel like maybe, and if I'm over, like let me let me know if you think I'm off base. I felt like this episode was maybe too ambitious for its forty-five minute runtime. Because you have the trill thing, and you're introducing this new species and the idea of it, but you also have this political thing, and, like, you feel like the tension's really mounting in this uh, negotiation, but despite that, it's really hand-waved away off-screen, and it's like, oh, oh, okay, I guess it wasn't that big a deal. Like, they don't care about, like, what's going on. It's just like, yeah, we're gonna do this 45-minute romantic epic with, between one of our main characters and a character we are probably never gonna see again because, let's be honest, this is 90s television. Mm-hmm. Riker's, Riker ain't keeping that um that body mod, let's be honest. Yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing that kind of there's almost too much stuff. I feel... I don't know what they could have done with the the weird Alpha and Beta Moon thing. The problem is is that the Alpha Moon is further away and taking power from the main planet, which is interfering with the Beta Moon. So figure it out, guys, rather than going, well, we like our treats. And if it means the other moon's fucked, well, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated the global warming name drop in there. Like, uh, it was very, it's like, oh, it's... <laughs> but yeah. obviously, Star Trek was never political. Like, no, 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 it's never no, years ago. So. It, it, it's just the the woke's fault. It, it absolutely, you know, if if uh, sad, if if uh, 
if sad, weird loser YouTube channels were a thing in the late 80s, early 90s, you know that they would have been getting upset with uh, Patrick Stewart saying, where no one instead of where no man has gone before. Oh, you know, they'd be losing their yeah. minds. Oh, that's just so dumb. I mean, then, like, and at no point, you know, I think my big kind of problem with the episode, apart uh-huh. from, like, it's trying to do the sweeping um, romantic epic, even up to the point where um, Odan Riker walks into the bar into 10 Ford, and we, you know, you have the big close-up, you know they want yeah. the huge orchestral score, and I'm just like, what is Riker doing right now? Is he just kind of going, man, <laughs> I, once, I once tried to fuck a Klingon, and this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> It's that thing, they've not established yet the, the relationship between the host and the symbion, where you go, oh no, I'm still me, but there's all there's this other me also here. So, yeah. in theory, like, retconning it, they are both Riker and Odan. So, is Riker like, I'm, go- I'm down with this, I've seen Crusher. <laughs> Just this, you know, you know, it's like, Riker's like, yeah, okay, fine, so I'm like, the like one of the, for like her kids' best friends and kind of like his mentor figure. You know what? It's fine. You know, <laughs> and like, Riker probably know, the... is fine. <laughs> you know, Riker probably sent a letter to Wesley going, "Hey, Wes. So funny story. <laughs> kind of got a slug <laughs> in my belly, and I kind of fucked your mum." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to get ahead of this before rumors come out. <laughs> Wasn't technically me. Entirely. It was the slug. <laughs> yeah, it was the slug's idea. <laughs> it was my penis. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's um, it's kind of like it's that whole. Th- it kind of takes me back to that whole thing of when uh people, you know, the 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 common internet um discourse around the movie Avatar. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Uh-huh. Um, that, uh, it, of it's like, oh, it's just Dances with Wolves in Space. It's just the, it's it's a story we've seen before. It's like, well, yes, but James Cameron is also loading all this sci-fi bullshit that you need to understand that you can explore the goofy sci-fi bullshit very easily because the story is already a basic one that you know. Mm. And I like they didn't do that with this you have a decidedly not basic political thing going on Mm. and a decidedly not basic alien slug thing going on and it's just an awful lot to take in and so much of it is hand waved away between shots and it's like oh oh okay fine how did they fix it you know yeah Yeah. you you could have taken out all the alien political intrigue stuff and have it basically be it's a race against time to get the slug to the new host. But because yes. we're on the clock and techno we can't just we can't just stick the slug in a jam jar like we did at the beginning for the whole trip. Because like we don't have a big enough jam jar. So we gotta we gotta stick we gotta we gotta stick this to someone and Riker's like sticking to someone, I volunteer. <laughs> But yeah, but as because we spend so much time with the Alpha and Beta Moon, you're just kind of like, I if you're invested in that half of the story, it's don't be. It's yeah. just it, it, it doesn't matter. It's a lot of setup. You could have gone the blah 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 peace talks or anything, mm-hmm. and just what are they? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's 
it, yeah, we've got a, a plot we're going with here, the romance thing, the slug thing. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. Um, or make it something internal of this person is talking about Trill joining the Federation and things are kind of tense because of whatever. Um, the moon stuff felt too intricate to be such a, a nothing, you know? Yeah, it, it doesn't really... We spend so much time with it, and yeah, it's kind of hand-waved away off-screen. Even the rejoining uh, the the symbiote with the Trill after getting it out of Riker is really, uh, oh, they got turbulence, don't worry, we'll meet them halfway there. Like, mm. that's not dramatic tension, that's me coming home for winter break. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well... As I'm sure you and everyone else are aware, a big old list of every Star Trek film and TV show. It's a big slab of marble that we're carving away uh, because all, obviously this is an objective list of extremely worst Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Um, going from number one with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and... Let's see, going all the way down to number 87, which is Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach from Strange New Worlds. It's a pretty big list, and we're on our road to 100. So where on earth is the host going to be installed? Where are we putting this slug? So I am looking at the lowest ranking episode of TNG, which is... Hang on. Oh wait! It is <laughs> old I favorite. Thought ju- I thought it was Justice, where Wesley Nether gets killed on Planet Fuck, but no, <laughs> it is our old favorite encounter at Far Point, aka Patrick Stewart watching his career die in real time. <laughs> God, I remember long ago when that used to be our our kind of dipstick for quality, and now it's right near near the bottom of this list. So, are you saying this is this is a bad one? Like it's, I am like it's not great. It's not offensively bad, but for all the bits that are good with it, mm. there are at least two or three more things. You know, it's yeah. two or three more things which are bad. It's like okay, we have peace talks. We don't care, um, right? You know. Um, Crush's new romance. Eh, he'll be gone at the end of the episode. Oh no, Crush's romance is actually a slug which needs to get put in Riker. Riker volunteers, and that's the last consent he gives to anything or any kind of opinion he gets on anything. There's not even a scene at the end of the episode when, like, Picard comes up to Riker and goes, so, was having a slug in your belly and having your entire personality subsumed by the slug, was that fun? Yeah, was that all you hoped it would be? And Rick is like, do I get time and a half for this at least? It's like, no, you weren't actively around. You're not getting anything. Like, this is a vacation <laughs> day for you. Um, so, and, and, then, and then just like the end, which is, um, which is, you know, oh no, the slug lived, but it's in a woman. And so Crusher is, um, oh yeah, it's the night. It's, Maybe. um, homophobic about it? Oh oh, yeah, I don't... Ellen Ellen hasn't come out of the closet yet, so queerness in American TV is like, you know, a very special episode of 
I, I, I don't know, blossom or growing pains. Yeah, I was trying to think. Friends doesn't even exist at this point in 91. So, yeah, you've not even got the <laughs> kind of, like, um, lesbian ex-wife of Ross kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't know how... how like, in how OK... He was in, in American TV. I like, mean, Golden that... Girls had handled some queer themes at this point. I... It was like, this was a problem behind the scenes that, like, the writer, uh, like, the... the <laughs> actors on TNG were open to exploring LGBT themes and Rick Berman was very 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 against it of course but... of course it, it often comes back to Berman is this better or worse than Encounter at Fuck Point? so it's pr- ultimately I think it's probably worse like as much shit as we give it I'd agree with that point, yeah. um, it's got it's got some things going for it, and it is the start of a brand new era. This is a lot of nothing. Like, the Trill, this may as well not have been the introduction of the Trill, frankly. Uh, this yeah. could have been any symbiotic race, and, you know, we get none of the none of the lore that will be brought forward. The, the closest you get is a slug, and even that changed. You know, here they were like, yeah, we want it to look kind of like a caterpillar and an octopus. And it's got these glowing bits on it. And they went much cheaper and easier for the... Do you know what it looks like? Mm. It looks like they've taken the prop from the the thing from Wrath of Khan, Mm. which makes the tiny little worms, and then just recolored it and Mm. just stuck it in a jam jar. And just put some lights on it. And put some fairy lights on it. (laughs) Like they've, oh, yeah. they've done the, they've taken the, they've done the Doctor Who thing of taking a prop and just going, okay, if we recolor this, then it becomes something else. We've Knowing the- Star Trek at the time, there's a non-zero chance that that is literally yeah. what they did. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. My my only other one was passed on to me by my my spouse uh, when when I was doing the watch was pro tip if there's better world building in a hentai episode we've got problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um. Okay. So, like, look here, we've got encounter at far point. Like, it doesn't get bad bad until the until the eighties. At that point, where you get things like the Thor with the uh, the evil clown in the Matrix, <laughs> which <laughs> that description makes me so happy. <laughs> um, was was I, good fun, but definitely not good as an episode. I I know? think I'm looking at Enterprise Dead Stop, um, mm. which I was, which might pair with this one for we have a great premise. That yeah. we are going to do nothing interesting with. Oh, that was so like disappointing. And just feel like we're wasting yeah. everyone's time. Yeah. So, yeah. Better or worse than Dead Stop? I I think it might almost be better if only for, like, it, try, it, it trying to make, to sell us on this um, grand um, romantic movie epic. Yeah, it's only it's it's worth yeah, for that I can agree one that. close to, for the one zoom in on Riker Odan. Oh, the telenovela <laughs> zoom in. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it's worth it for like days of our ten. That one moment where it becomes days of our ten forward. I oh, love. God. Yeah, no, I agree. I can now. I want to run that. the telenovela role playing game, Passion de las Passions, 
but in Star Trek. <laughs> I think I think it would be the perfect right. system for it. Okay, um, a quick divergent. Um, when I worked in a hotel, we got in a lot of uh, Brazilian, Latin American, um, temp workers who were coming to learn how to speak English, and I would teach them how to swear like an Englishman. If they t- if they would teach me how to talk like the romantic villain in a telenovela. Nice. Like that was that was the deal. Oh good. I feel you need you need for villain facial hair for it as well, I know. I need like a, a nifty like Van Dyke beard. Yeah. And like a free piece suit with a cravat. Definitely. Alright, well on that note, uh that's for new number eighty three on our list. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And uh, number eight, number eight, our current eighty six is um, the pilot episode for Enterprise Broken Bow, which is apt because <laughs> watching that sometimes makes me want to shoot myself. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So, um, so episode two for tonight is Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, season four, episode six, titled "Rejoined." It aired on the thirtieth of October, nineteen ninety five. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and Renee Echevarria. Yeah, our old friend Ron. Um, story by Renee Echevarria and directed by Avery Brooks himself. My word. Yeah, so the UK number one hit on this date was Coolio with Gangster's Paradise. And in the US was Mariah Carey with Fantasy. Now, we've had considerable psychic damage from... Uh, Mariah Carey previously we have we have this one wasn't as as damaging but it's I, I kind of like this one like, <laughs> I like the Tom Tom Club by by Talking <laughs> Heads and um, you know adding some G-Funk whistle to it that's fine that's alright um, I'm sure there are better covers of the Tom Tom well better like people that have used it, but um, it was fine. But Coolio, that's that's one of those ones that is ro- takes me right back to the comic shop, to listening to Radio One behind the till there in the nineties. <laughs> in in my notes, I just put next to it "Gangsters Paradise," real goat shit. Oh, just, <laughs> yep, yep. I I I, I had to be honest. I I made a playlist to listen to this morning, and as I was listening to "Gangsters Paradise." I admit my next thought was right. Okay, right. I have to put on Amish Paradise by Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I, I, I I know you're not a fan of the uh of, of the weirdest Al. I've just never never followed his work. I don't know. I, I don't. I've seen he him live. He I'm... doesn't have much of a a staple hold in the UK. In the UK, yeah. so I only really started learning this guy exists when I started spending time in the States and everyone kind of like really likes the words, the, the works of Weird Al. I, I put on an amazing live show. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he does. Like he seems he, fine. It's, it's just one of those things like mystery theater 3000, like um, where it feels like you kind of needed to have been into it. Went back in the day almost, Yeah, you know, or like, um, when I was getting into terrible John Hughes movies, a friend of mine very excitedly showed me weird science. And I was like, I like seeing Bill Paxton in things. That's always fun. But this is not good. 
this is this is not <laughs> a good film at all. Um, and again, it was that. Well, I guess you had to be there, kind of thing. It, yeah, that's how I, I part- Revenge of the Nerds was for me. Oh, was, it was like this is just creepy and kind of gross. I don't like this at all. <laughs> I rented it from a video box back in the day, and no, no, even back then, even that back then, it was like, oh, I'm a nerd. Oh, <laughs> it's it's a film for me. And then no. Just, no, oh, this is no, a bad no. one. You've, you've made a bad film here, guys. Like, I, I, like, I still think you could remake it, mm. but you do a, you do a, a tone and genre shift midway through, and you turn it into a horror film, and you realize the nerds are actually the villains. Oh, yes. definitely, Miles. I believe it's your time to recap, and uh, if you're ready, let's go. I. Okay, so it's time for Jadzia Dax to undergo her Jantara, which is the Trill Rite of Closure, in where she has to meet each of her previous hosts, have a little chat, and like kind of just get some sort of emotional closure. She's asked her close friends, uh, Cisco, Kira, Dr. Bashir, Odo, Chief O'Brien, uh, Quart for some reason, and Lita, Lita, who's been here the whole time and have um, has a deep, meaningful relationship with Jadzia. Um, and everyone agrees after some rather un- uncomfortable um, ear masturbation administered to Quark. Meanwhile... I'm sorry to interrupt. Did I watch the wrong episode? I think I... Um, Uh-oh. Because uh, rejoined, I'm... Uh, I, I'm it was uh I, I have the one with uh Dax's yeah, showing up. Same. Oh, okay. Uh oh. Hi everyone. Shortly as Miles began the recap of his episode, um that he realized that he'd actually Mandela affected himself into an alternate timeline and had and had thought that the episode they were gonna be watching was uh Facets, which was the twenty-fifth episode of the third season, and not rejoined, which was the the sixth episode of season four. Um hopefully the, the per- version of Miles from this timeline is having a really awkward time in that ep- in that parallel universe too. The episode will now be narrate will now be capped in five minutes very quickly by our wonderful guest Celeste. Thirty eight episodes and um <laughs> this is only the second time this has technically happened. Um first time in a mainline yeah. episode. <laughs> so hey, them's them's pretty good odds. Okay. So uh, all I have to say is bollocks <laughs> well and on that note um yeah celeste are you ready i am ready as i can be and engage okay so uh we start off at quirk's bar dax is showing quirk and B- bashir some magic tricks uh quirk doesn't quite get it but um dax is uh, happy to show off anyway with a whole lot of of uh bluster and bl- uh, bravado um, suddenly, uh, Cisco calls Dax to tell her that, uh, Dr. Lenora Khan from Trill is coming to do some science around artificial wormholes. 
Cisco suggests that Dax should take a leave, but Dax says that she's very good at her job and doesn't need to. What's up with this Lenora Khan person? Turns out, Lenora Khan knows Dax from a previous life, and when she meets her along with a bunch of the rest of uh, the DS9 crew, Dax lets them know that that is her ex-wife. After the intro, Quark is confused by the swapping of genders, but Kira and Bashir are happy to explain to him that previously uh, Dax uh, and uh, Khan were in separate bodies, where one was a man, one was a lady, and they were married. Bashir has also learned how to do the magic trick, incidentally. Now, uh, Kira thinks that uh, that Dax and Khan should get back together. She thinks that if you're in love, it shouldn't matter who you are. <laughs> Ally, anti-fascist, uh, Kira Norris, love her. But apparently it is a trill taboo to reconnect or reassociate with uh, a loved one from a previous life. And trills will literally exile members of their species who do this. At a party to welcome the scientist, Cisco gives Dax crap for running late, but advises uh, Dax it's still okay to back out. Dax is clearly uncomfortable at the uh, at this reception, but not as uncomfortable as Worf is. Along with uh, uh, some people trying to ask him and and being asked, "What do Klingons dream about Worf?" and Worf just going things that would send chills down your spine. Weird. Khan approaches Dax, and they awkwardly chat at the buffet, but then they get a little bit flirty. Uh, uh, Khan's brother seems very concerned by this. But it'll be fine, says Dax, lyingly. O'Brien meets with the Trills about the modifications that they made to the Defiant later, and uh, Dax and Khan are left alone while they go to fix up the Defiant for this experiment. Uh, also, the Trechnobabble includes trans data failure, which I think is just on point for this story. Uh, they, uh, they both have trouble uh, talking about their past selves, but Dax feel, still feels awful for not listening to Khan's previous self, who, uh, told, uh, to told, uh, who told her or him at the time not to get in the shuttle accident that ended up killing that previous host. Dax invites Khan to dinner and volunteers Julian to join her. Poor Julian comes to the dinner with Dax and Khan and is clearly left out of this awkward conversation, the thirdest of wheels. Dax and Khan acknowledge that they have more in common now than they did previously, now that they're both scientists. Um, ha um, the acknowledging having a different voice and seeing a different face, but it's you. Okay, time for the wormhole experiment. Later, uh, the next day, they're uh, trying the wormhole experiment with the trills, and it works! Oh boy! The theory stood up to the test. They're able to make artificial wormholes. Everyone's excited. But Khan's brother is noticing Dax and, uh, and Khan are still getting real uh, flirty. Khan's brother even uh, pulls her aside and... No one see can seem to agree on how to pronounce her name. It's Lenora this time. Anyway. Khan confronts Dax about what her brother said and how he's concerned about them. But Dax seems oh, heartbroken to be called just And I'm heartbroken to say that's oh, no. five minutes. Okay. Let's... That's right. That's Biscuits. right. It's, uh... Yeah. Let's start the stopwatch and see how... Yeah. Okay, let's okay, wrap this take up. I'm home. almost there. 
Dax uh, seems heartbroken to be called just friends and initially wants to disengage, but both parties are still clearly in love. Dax admits that she still blames herself for her previous death, and they kiss very passionately. The first lesbian kiss on broadcast TV, no less. Uh, Khan leaves. Dax conf- uh, confesses to Cisco about what happened. He's concerned. The price for violating this is too high. Cisco warns that if uh, Dax, that if she's exiled, that's not just going to be the end of her, but the end of the symbiote, and wants her to be sure she's ready to pay the price. Um, he will be, he, but uh, Cisco is a good friend and tells Dax that he will back her no matter what she chooses. They go out to do the experiment again the next day, and the Defiant is off in space. They try to create another uh, wormhole, but there's a sudden hull breach. Khan is in the line of fire, and Dax goes down to rescue her. They embrace, saying, I never want to lose you again. Khan's brother actually thanks Dax for saving her, and uh, and Dax even gives a gift to Khan from the planet Ryza, so some of you might remember as the sex planet. Lenara uh, Khan blames herself for everything that happened, but Dax reminds her that they made a major breakthrough. Dax begs Lenara to stay. But Lenara, Lenara, uh, says she absolutely cannot stay. After everything they've been through, she decides that it, they can't uh, put their feelings ahead of the good well-being of the Trill, and she leaves the station. Dax and Khan lock eyes one last time, and Dax cries. Oh, that's two minutes and seven seconds over. Yeah, that's all right. It was a dense episode. That's one of those things that, like... Uh, going back to these 80s, 90s Star Treks that you forget about, especially with how decompressed TV is now, like just how much they, they could cram into 45 minutes of TV. This felt like it it was the the kind of soapy romantic vibes that they were aiming for with the host and doing really badly. You know, this like this was so much soapier, um, although it it also had the chilling truth that Dax knows close-up magic, which is never the trait of a trustworthy individual. <laughs> I I like the fact that this one is... So, one of my the problems that the host has, the previous one we looked at, is how ashamed and confused it is about what a inherently gay premise mm. the episode is. And this one is so unapologetically in your face about it i remember so this is an episode i remember from when i was a little kid yeah. i watched this one where it when it aired and my mother who by the way this is not a dunk on mom Azumi. mom has been extremely supportive of me in the now but my mother in the 90s was scandalized absolutely scandalized by that kiss in there uh she was not prepared for what it was depicting and I remember even as a little kid being kind of like, I don't I don't see why you're so upset about this. This seems... It's incredible what the difference four years makes with that kind of thing compared to the host, where it was very, like, not saying, oh, I don't like you now you're a woman, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but it is kind of there. And I don't know, the whole... Um... I know also that Rick, that again, going back to our, our nemesis, Rick Berman, 
that he was never mm. a huge fan of DS9, and this probably didn't do anything to really win him over. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember watching the captain's tape, captain's chair. Uh, I think it was, and DS9 sounded like it didn't get much attention while TNG was on, and then it didn't get much attention when Voyager was on, and they kind of hit a point and go, ah, fuck it, do whatever. Internally, even while there were a lot of stressors pushing, especially on Ron Moore and Ira Stephen Bear, which seeing Ron Moore's credit as one of the one of the writers of this kind of makes sense. Because, yeah, he always seems down for this kind of thing, like for pushing what can be done compared to what the network would want. I've always I've always been a big fan of Ron Moore, and this was just a, a reminder that he was always this good. Like it wasn't it, it, like it's it's not a fluke. Like I know also it's it's quite popular these days to be rather dismissive of even the 2004 Battlestar Galactica. But I think. I think he the writing in that show right. was largely quite brilliant. Oh god, yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, third wheels here, right? That's how I feel right now. <laughs> but all my enti- entirely my own fault. I admit it. Um, I do want. I do really want to rewatch new BSG, and I keep meaning to check out for all mankind, which I think he worked on. Oh, so yeah. Helix, which I'm less inclined to want to check out. Oh. I've heard it's. I've heard Helix is trash TV. Of the Helix is. Ca- is not good, but I I watched it avidly. Um, <laughs> I so last what was it last Tuesday? I think it was. I watched the new True Detective, and it's set in an Arctic station, or at least part yep. of it is. And that gave me flashbacks to Helix. Oh. But in that kind of, they don't really have more sets than this. Like here is the Helix <laughs> soundstage, and then in season two, they get to they get to go outdoors which was very exciting. But yeah, it's... Ron Moore's good fun. Like, BSG, I think I started re-watching it and we got distracted with something around mid-season two. So one day, one day I want to pick it back up. But um, but yeah, this, this is... It's, this is a really it, strong episode. I really like this one. It's, um, what, four seasons in, so you can tell the confidence everyone has as their character. Everyone's way of of uh figuring any of this out like quark being confused about the close-up magic and about the um and about the kind of like history of the symbionts together and not figuring that out makes a good mouthpiece and an apt one because like you wouldn't expect bashir to do this or any of the any of the main staff there and some of just the acting in this episode is so Mm. on point too like i i loved um like obviously terry farrell has to really carry a lot of the episode as dax and she's you see such a a great impression of her character even that close magic scene at the beginning you get that juxtaposed her very um flamboyant normally very confident self and against her at the gala the meeting like soiree dinner thing where she's deeply uncomfortable very undax like um mm. i also just loved um both cisco and kira in relation to watching their friend go through this that the fact that this is with an for all the awkward things even when cisco is advising her against it 
the idea that this is with another woman never comes up. Yeah. It's about her career and her well-being, never about the sexuality of it. And even more so, Kira with her, I don't think it matters at all. This is mm. just love. It's... Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing like Kira's always very good at leading with the heart and the morality of like, no, this is stupid. Like mm-hmm. what the fuck these two should be together. Even if it's like a bit of a taboo in troll culture, which um, yeah, like the next episode we cover again, you get some curious bits of troll culture and what they do or don't do. But um, yeah, it's, it was a fun episode as much as, I find a distrust of people that are very skilled in close-up magic. I think you are quite right, and it does show. <laughs> it does help to show that confidence of Dax before it gets kind of shaken slightly. And I did love Bashir as the third wheel. That is that feels like his perfect fate, you know. Especially if you remember early Bashir, of like, yes, yeah, a guy who arrives on the station going to be like, I've read all about about Kirk, about Riker. I'm going to be one of those. Find me every alien. I'm going to bang them. This is going to be great. Uh, it's like, no, no, you're just stuck at this dinner watching two people that are incredibly into each other ignore you. Yeah, you got no game, son. <laughs> uh, no, no, he's never had any. <laughs> like, even smart Bashir. Like the the most interest he gets is from Garrick ultimately, but yeah. So yeah, this was a fun one, and yeah, I do have the question of what do Klingons dream of, especially that chills them. You know, is it going to be puppies or something? Because dying gloriously in battle isn't going to be what scares a Klingon. I feel like for Worf, it would be more than five minutes with his son, but that's. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. Father's Day. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, that's. (laughs) New Age music. Um. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. the, the, The sitcom Friends. Uh, yeah, I can't see Klingons getting on with that. Um, empty blue plastic drums. Those are pretty <laughs> scary if you're Worf. Um, like... you, you, you have never experienced Dawson's Creek until you've experienced it in the original Klingon. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to see that. J.J. <laughs> J. Abrams mystery box style storytelling. I mean, mm. it'd be what, mm. a couple of episodes before, like what, Joey stabs um, thingy. <laughs> Um, Michelle Williams' character <laughs> Jen um, early on going, no, get off my patch fueled for death, there we go and then Pacey and Dawson end up pretty much doing the same, which would lead to the Dawson Klingon dying, I feel <laughs> um, yeah, it would be great, like two episodes those two stories do you, done Do you think in the future of Star Trek they import Earth they, they export Earth TV, the rights to Earth TV series to be remade in different cultures. Maybe, maybe yeah. like do a holodeck version of these things, like you know, change people about a bit. Could be fun. Well, like the the Ferengi saw the Office and like they think it's a tragedy, like both <laughs> versions. No, no, no. They 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 think um, Wall Street is high art. Yeah. In, <laughs> in the in the Ferengi version, Gordon Gecko wins. Oh God. 
Michael Scott is so devoted to profit. Why does no one respect him? <laughs> that is a shockingly good Ferengi voice. <laughs> wow. In, in, in Ferengi culture, Atlas Shrugged has been remade once a year, every year. <laughs> And it's always a, always a guaranteed profit. Of course. Um, wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, on that note, we're in a, a weird situation. Again, blame Miles. Uh, <laughs> finding a place on, on our big list to go. Like, this, this was a very good episode. It wasn't really a, like, a... There wasn't massive drama outside of the soap operatic drama. And that was that was all good stuff. But yeah, where does that make it land? Like it was really good gay TV when gay TV <laughs> was something that we was not we a... didn't have. Yes. And that's so that's I'm going to so like that's my big um that's that's where my big bias lies right now is that of this course. was a, this was also a formative episode for for my gay ass. So. This is a, a big gay units of Star Trek. Yes, yes, an extremely extremely big gay unit of Star Trek. Wow, I mean that feels like that may end up being an episode <laughs> title. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Let's see, we've got a bunch of DS9 up the top here. It is that interesting thing of balancing both, is this a good episode? Is this a Star Trek? Yeah, that's really where it comes down to, is is it a Star Trek? Because, yeah, this kind of story, while technically X is especially one, like, this could have happened in another drama, but, you know, it wouldn't have back in 95 um so that does make it quite an iconic thing as you said for first lesbian kiss on like um on network television that is not to be shrugged at um mm. yeah so we've got i don't know i'm trying to find a good a good starting point to to go better or worse fan and also do remember this is a top heavy list here yeah, that's also where it's kind of in that weird space. Of... It doesn't get mediocre until quite low down, and then and then terrible only at the end. Yeah, I, you guys are look... going to be facing some. Knowing how bad some episodes are, like mm -hmm. the later episodes are going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to pay us on Kofi to get us ripping that plaster off and encountering some some terrible episodes real soon, just to see our our suffering. I I embrace that. But yeah, so originally I was like, okay, there's Menage a Troy, but that's all the way down in 55. And this is probably going to be end up higher than that. Yeah, and it's difficult going, Miles, your <laughs> input on this. Well, I don't know. You might have seen this many years ago. I um, did, but I, I'm not going to make an, uh, a snap. I'm not going to make a snap judgment based on that let's see so looking at some of the the top ones ds9 wise like before we hit the top 10 kind of place we've got 24 we've got crossover where odo fucking explodes, explodes and that is yeah. a joy to see as a as a show like uh, 
<laughs> the alternate, all of them are very good fun. Apart from Smiley, who really could do with having a better day. That but, was uh, that's one of my favorite casual track episodes. Even oh, like that <laughs> early one, Odo fucking explodes. That's just a. Uh... I I just got blindsided by that. I I had no idea. <laughs> and yeah, speaking of Odo, we also have Odo doing a noir with Necessary Evil up in Space Fourteen. That was that was quite a nice character study. Really uh, this time of of Odo. I, I don't know. Like with Necessary Evil, we get those nice introductions to to Odo's relationship with a lot of the staff there. I, would you would you consider this like higher, lower, that kind of thing? I think in the, in that range between Necessary Evil and Crossover feels fair to me. Because um, mm. there's a lot of God, there's a lot yeah. of really strong ones in here, but I do. I see there's Spock fighting the horny out of his system uh, yeah, in a mock time, which, you know, that's has... A, that's an iconic one. I don't it know is. if it's... That's kind of where I'm like, maybe under a mock time, just because that is such an iconic episode. <laughs> that's the thing. I think a mock time's slipped down a bit over time, because as an episode, it's so-so. But as an as iconic moments, fucking hell, yeah, like... I, I've been thinking like this last week there might end up coming a point where we kind of have to challenge rankings on the list because, you know, we're comparing one episode that we've seen recently to one which we've seen like two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think at some point we'll maybe if we pick one or two episodes each to go, right, let's do a re a recalibration. Yeah. Almost. Because, yeah, some of them you go, how's the quark? Like, hmm, it's fine. It's good. But we we were so positive on that early on, and it it made it uh, difficult to even get to, but easy to beat ultimately uh, once you had. Okay, so you're saying under a mock time, this is then above Pegasus. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. So yeah, that makes it our new number 19 on the list. Oh my god, and Pegasus was another Mariah Carey uh, one. <laughs> uh, like we, dro- we we gave Ed Sheeran a lot of shit in this time because too many modern and episodes had Ed Sheeran in. Deservedly so, I feel. Yeah, yeah. But um, Mariah Carey and the psychic damage she has dealt has... Uh, I'm a little has sad been... I, I picked a modern... Ep- or the, the theme that I picked got a modern episode that was She-Renless. I'm a little sad. About <laughs> oh! <that>. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So, our third and final episode for the night is Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 4, titled Forget-Me-Not. This aired on the 5th of November 2020. It was written by Alan McElroy, no relation to any other McElroys, Chris Silvestri, and Anthony Marinville, directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. The UK and US number one hits. The UK had Ariana Grande with Positions. The US had 24K Golden with Mood. Um... So, like, the 24K Golden just kind of slipped out of my memory almost immediately after I heard it. I hated it. I, yeah. I, I listened to it once and I didn't care for it at all. <laughs> like, I lis- listening to Coolio and then even hearing the G-Funk whistle on the Mariah Carey got me remembering, uh, like, the music of that era and then hearing this. And it's like, 
I'm sure this is for someone, but it's mm. just not. It's just not me. Yeah, m- mumble mumble rap. I think I don't. Yeah, even know SoundCloud. It was. It's definitely not my cup of tea. Um, yeah, I I agree. It's it's probably appeals to somebody, but I'm sure it's not held not that person. Oh, oh, yeah. oh you feel very comfortable using the term "cup of not my cup of tea" when you're when you're doing a podcast with two Brits. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, yeah. Appropriating our our lack of tea, uh, appropriating our imperialism. Yeah, that, that you are truly a le- you are you are truly a Leamington colonialism. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't ask where the tea or the China that it's uh, drunk out of came from. I was uh, to say, I, it's like wait, it's like this is the most British thing I can do. I'm stealing other people's cultures. <laughs> True, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Ariana Grande one, like I. I it, I don't know. Like, I think I liked the idea of the song more than the execution of the song. Yeah, yeah. I, I find with her. Like, don't get me wrong. I like I like a good amount of pop. I like Taylor Swift. I like Carly Rae Jepsen. This, in theory, like, I just I don't have time for a lot of her things. I, I yeah, I, I'm not a. I you know, like it's like I. She seems cool. I guess I don't know. Again, the song seemed. I think I liked the idea of the song. I didn't really like how the song was executed, though. Yeah, I, I, like, I, 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 maybe I just have enough too much um, psychic damage from Quentin reviews videos to yep. have an opinion <laughs> yeah. on um on on Ariana Grande. Yeah, I, I could watch with literally you over a day's worth of his <laughs> of his material <laughs> on her. Yeah, I I feel that. Um, right, well, uh, time to deal some more psychic damage to our guest, who is having to do two recaps in a row. Okay, um, that's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I can't, God, it's been so long since we've done a discovery, I can't remember what the Engage equivalent is. Anyway. Let's, dis- uh, let's disco. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so Celeste, do some disco. All right, uh, forget me not, um... So Discovery has flung itself into the future, and uh, the crew are all back together. However, they are uh, not sure where the Federation is, if it even is. But they do know that a uh, Federation Admiral left some messages back for them. Unfortunately, said Admiral was a Trill, and that symbiote is now in a young person named Adira, and Adira cannot remember any of their previous lives or experiences. Uh, when we open the episode, Dr. Uh, Colbert is, uh, ruminates on Discovery being very out of time, and we focus on little drone robots, which are a lot of, a lot of fun. He talks about how they really need to find the Federation for everyone's mental well-being, but no one is willing to accept help because they're a bunch of overachievers. Meanwhile, uh, Adira wants to guide the ship to wherever this Admiral Senatol uh, would want them to go, but can't remember it because Adira woke up in a pod and can't remember anything. Adira wonders, am I actually a genius or am I just a squid host? But they decide that the best thing they can do is go to Trill to try to find some answers for Adira. Meanwhile, um, Discovery uh, manages to get to Trill, and they're greeted by a guy named Commissioner Ball. Ball welcomes uh, Saru and uh, says that any time a symbiote comes home, it's a miracle. Saru is worried about 
basically everyone, but especially like Stamets right now, who was stabbed with a spike and was in a coma, which the show keeps reminding us of. Saru thinks that to get them out of this situation, they might need a technical solution, and believes in Stamets and his ability to work with Tilly, and Tilly wants to try playing with Dark Matter, but Stamets is clearly uh, going through some post-traumatic stress and explodes at Tilly. Meanwhile, uh, Dr. Colbert uh, visits Michael, and uh, who is still desperately trying to figure out why Warp Drive stopped working somewhere between when they jumped and where they came out in the future. Colbert uh, refers to what Adira is going through as post-traumatic growth and uh, compares it to what Michael went through being separated from the ship and thinks that uh, Michael would be a better mentor for Adira than he would be and uh, thinks that uh, Michael should go down with Adira to Trill. So Michael finally agrees to this and meanwhile Dr. Colbert is very uh, worried about the crew because they're still physically well but they're mentally not. Anyway, Michael and Adira head down to Trill. The Trills additionally welcome Adira, but are shocked by a lot of things. One, Adira's a human. Two, Adira can't remember any of the previous names. They're up very upset and they want to forcibly separate Adira from the symbiote, but they're saying that doing so would kill Adira. And some are even jealous that a non-Trill is hosting a symbiote at all. Some of the Trill even call Adira an aberration, despite this apparent miracle. They then threaten Adira to take the, sil- uh, the symbiote out, and Michael gets into a bit of a fight. But a lone Trill offers to show them the uh, Hot Springs Caves, where uh, Adira can remember things. Meanwhile, back on Discovery, uh, Saru decides to talk to the computer about helping the crew calm down, and the computer starts talking in a friendly voice, kind of like in that Calypso minisode. The uh, computer suggests some R&R, movie nights, or maybe a dinner with the crew. Meanwhile, back on Trill, uh, Michael and Adira go into the caves. Adira says that they feel safe, and the Trill say they don't have much time. Back on the ship, Saru gives everyone the night off and invites the bridge crew to dinner. Giorgio immediately makes it weird, because of course she does. The crew, uh, the crew all affirm the decision to jump to the future, but when uh, they try to... Ah, uh, dang it. <laughs> Five minutes up. It's... Yeah, it sneaks up on you. It's uh, alright. It's alright. I'm having a bit okay. of a... This is a long one. Um, it's right. You, you know, just make the dinner awkward by t- Actually, yeah, that'd be a great way of making a dinner awkward. Just time it for five <laughs> minutes, and then everyone has to stop. Invite a fascist emperor. Yeah, 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 it's not a good way to... There's a lot of awkward dinners with fascist emperors in Star Trek, now that I think about it. That's how Space Seed starts. <laughs> oh my god, um, yeah, yeah, it feels like a theme we've probably overlooked. Right, anyway, let's press on and finish this awkward dinner. So, uh, dinner uh, may- is made slightly less uncomfortable when Giorgio, of all people, does a, um, does a haiku, and the bridge staff all start trying to do haikus, which everyone's having fun with until Detmer starts getting real dark about Stamets almost dying. Oh and my God, everyone yeah. gets upset. There's a whole bunch of screaming. Uh, first, Detmer and Stamets storm out. Then everyone else leaves. And Saru looks like me when I try to host Thanksgiving. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, back on Trill, the uh, uh, symbiote uh, says that the, uh, or pardon me, the uh, Trill who's helping Adira and Michael says symbiotes really rarely thrive in an unwilling host. And Adira goes into the waters and uh, this goofy little orb thing will make sure that everything is steady and safe. Michael uh, put, sells Adira, hey, no pressure, but I really need you to find Senatol. Um, suddenly, though, uh, the, uh, cave, le- uh, the levels in the cave start dropping, and as a bunch of Trill guardsmen come in, all pissed off, Adira sinks! Oh no! Michael jumps in to save Adira, but Adira has completely disappeared. The Trill who is helping Michael, uh, gives her a, uh, neural stabilizer so she can go in the water to follow Adira. In the waters, Michael joins Adira in this weird flagellum space. Oh, but Adira keeps avoiding the threads that are in there. Michael finally encourages Adira to embrace the threads, and Adira starts remembering Grey, their boyfriend from the generation ship that Adira used to be on. But Adira is afraid to go further. Grey was the person who played uh, the cello, but apparently skill came with that symbiote. Grey uh, assured Adira back then that it's still me, just more me. Gray also mentioned that he needed to accept the uh, the past as much as the past needed to accept him. Adira uh, remembers giving Gray a gift box, but is afraid to remember that gift box. So there's quite a bit of fighting, avoiding the flagellum space, until um, eventually Adira comes to terms with the memories that they were trying to push back, and remembers that the gift that they gave uh, Grey was a quilt memorializing all the great times they had together. As Adira accepts that, all of the previous tall symbiote hosts appear before Adira and Michael, and Senatol welcomes uh, Adira into that collective mind. Michael also thanks Senna, which feels awkward because, like, Adira's having a moment, you know? Now that Adira is reunited with uh, all of their previous selves, and they're able to list off all of the previous tolls that they are, uh, the other Trills apologize to Adira and even thank them. Adira is invited to stay, but opts to stay with Discovery because the gift of the Trill is to spread the uh, symbiote into the galaxy. The Trill agree and say that they'd even be open to negotiating with Starfleet again. Meanwhile, uh, back on Discovery, Tilly comes back to Saru to thank him for dinner, even though it was a total mess. Saru feels he can't compare to Pike, but to be fair, who can? Tilly praises him, and eventually Stamets comes in and apologizes to Tilly and thinks that they should look into that dark matter research. Detmer, uh, meanwhile, tells Colbert she's not okay and wants to uh, not always be so macho. Saru decides to host the movie night anyway. Everyone enjoys some classic comedies. Um, Meanwhile, Stamets and Detmer embrace, apologizing to each other, and they all admit that the first step is admitting you're not okay. Saru believes that the discovery, now enhanced by the sphere, means that the computer is alive and it wants to protect the crew. Adira remembers Senatol's map, and now they can, uh, not only will they be able to find what's left of the Federation, but Adira knows how to play the cello as well. As Adira is left alone, though, we find out that they can still speak with and interact with Grey. This episode made me cry. (laughs) Sorry, I just... 
gonna skip straight to that. This episode made me cry and stuff. Um, I really like this one, you guys. Um, this is... Sorry to jump straight into it, but it's nice That's to remember right. that Discovery can be really good, and when it is, it's like... This when it bit. hits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, four minutes and 56 minutes over. But when we were first talking about episodes to cover, yeah, I remember you saying this is one where we should get a trans person on to to discuss it. And yeah, as a pair of cis guys, yeah, we're we're probably not as well equipped to... Yeah. Uh, to go oh shit yeah this is this is what's going on here yeah it's it really is one of those like especially the way that adira is dealt with um now i mean like granted uh i can tell you with relative certainty i i'm only one trans person but i promise you that most of us do not have literal other people living in our subconscious from the from the um slug that klaus schwab put in our belly but um aside from that though uh... (laughs) (laughs) okay right okay i i guess that may be news for i i did find this whole thing very very deeply relatable my my beloved like intersex family members and uh other members of the trans community really love trill characters and this is Especially these last two episodes really get into those things that I think a lot of trans people vibe with. The idea of the previous self. Because even if I'm not, even if I don't literally have, you know, an admiral living inside my head, it is weird remembering, like, my childhood. Even things that I was talking with you guys about earlier in this episode. Because, like, I remember a little boy watching Star Trek with, with his parents. Um... And that is me, but it also kind of isn't me, if that makes any sense. These mm, are... Yeah. It's... It, it, it can feel like having memories that feel like another person, even though they're still you. And I think that's why a lot of trans people, myself included, have always really loved Trills. And I think it's also why I'm really happy that... Um, we don't really get into it in this episode in particular, but Adira does start using they, them pronouns as this season goes on. And, um, I'm sorry. It's getting kind of some feels. Um, that's all right. As, as you go through that, I really, I have trouble properly verbalizing how this meant to me because, or how much this meant to me, because I have some friends who, asked well isn't it kind of redundant because like trills are kind of an allegory for transness anyway do you need it to be a textually trans character and i disagree with that wholeheartedly i think Mm. having having an allegory and having a textually trans character are still two very different things and case in point it's that way that people have such an easy time ignoring it i haven't made a secret that i hate the tv show the orville i think it's just a dreadful show that no one should watch but um it it's amazing jesse gender uh and her youtube channel she brings up how weird it is that when the orville even when the oral pardon me with the orville does not have a technically trans character but rather does it in allegory you will get these reactionary weirdos 
who will talk about how the Orville isn't getting political, even though it has characters preach directly to the audience what the theme is, whereas a trans character existing in a show is apparently very political, mm. I guess. Madness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where talking about casting um, kind of trans and non-binary characters in in these roles, it, it kind mm. of makes perfect sense of going, well, let's literalize this thing. If Trill yeah. already very accepted as a kind of subtextual transness you know it's like i i'm a big x-men fan and mm -hmm. there's the mutant metaphor is deliberately incredibly vague and mm -hmm. people can latch onto that for anything you know for me it's it's generally kind of disability coded and things yeah. like that but sexuality is there genders there all of that but you kind of you still need to do the literal side as well because you you know five five cis white people from New York all being mutants and all of that it's you know it kind of got a bit dull with the original five and it's mm -hmm. why it needed an international cast and why again you know it grew and changed and went oh no if we're representing the other let's also have some other people here and mm -hmm. that's what makes it more more alive and more relevant so mm. yeah it makes perfect sense here and as you said a shocking kind of oh my god yeah this was really like discovery once it hit season three like season one and two had some good bits but pushing them into the grim dark future and going no we need star trek solutions to this was really nice really good touch i definitely think season three is when they really start actively pushing an ensemble show and not yes. the Michael Burnham action hour. Yeah. yeah. And it is it is nice to it is nice to see the other crew. It's I, I think sometimes the bits I remember from Discovery is when you have the crew just like it's it's the scene when they're doing haiku until it gets weird, thanks Detma. Mm. Or when they're in the mess hall just kind of playing weird word games yeah. with each other. It's when the the ship kind of starts to feel like a community, like a shared like a found family. And I love uh I love Colbert uh like straight up calling out this is this is a ship full of overachieving nerds. Yeah. So like not only are they afraid to admit when they need help, but they all have that attitude. It's a yeah. very <laughs> My attitude of Starfleet being specifically a bunch of swashbuckling idiots and spreadsheet nerds. And unfortunately for Discovery, it's all spreadsheet nerds. And this is what happens. You know, mm -hmm. they've not got the Riker going, right, let's go to planet fuck. <laughs> you, you just, so you need some way. Like, Saru, love him, but he does need to be told by a computer. Maybe the solution for everyone's problems isn't more work. Because, hell, I'll, my at my work where i am still striking currently Give one up. of the <laughs> one of the things that's uh got on lately is the discussion of okay what's what's happening what's going to be good like how are people not going to be stressed and overworked well there's going to be some new more work coming down the line it's like oh my god it's like yeah. it's ain't gonna work for no us. it's it's um one of the things I slowly noticed from my time at Starbucks was when I first started, 
we were all the nerds who are writing on it, who are working on it. We were all the stereotypical, we're all the nerds who are right, working on a screenplay, working on a novel. And then slowly it became those, those people, like those kind of types of co-workers went away. And then I got more of like the jockey and basic pop crowd coming in and you just kind of go, no, this isn't like, this isn't my shared space. <laughs> I, I don't, it's, it's not, this is not how I, this is not how I function. I, I want a, a brief tangent. God, I love it when a Star Trek race, um, when their main weapon is a pointy stick. It's so weird. I love that. I love <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite Trek tropes. It's like that everyone else in the game. I mean, Star Wars does this too. We have this weird. Um, we have this weird sci-fi thing where everyone likes pointy sticks. I, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like a good pointed stick? That's a point. True. It's interesting seeing the drill. Like, I would want a bit more of a drill down to their culture of like, okay, why are compatible hosts less less around now? What happened to a lot of the drill that were out and about? You know, um, Adira's generation ship that they were on had the ability to do the trill surgery, which is good. Apparently a robot could do it, even. Apparently. Mm. Yes, yeah. we're talking, <laughs> what, 800 years after Riker got his his thing, and hearing them quickly go, you know, no, no, it's 2,000 years since the last successful one. It's like, yeah, yeah, we saw how, how it did not go great with Riker. No. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I think an amount of it is possibly that acceptance where because Tal had like Grey and Grey's memories and experiences in, maybe the acceptance there is what made this a compatible joining compared to mm -hmm. Odan and Riker, who weren't weren't like drift compatible in that kind of way. And it's it's kind of a uh, a rejection of that trill taboo too of mm -hmm. like what if the that previous uh, connection is what allows you to what, thrive right what if, the thing that what if we throw out the dogma and just you know there are no rules mm hmm God mm -hmm. when when they were like yes this is all we've got left and I was like just rampant belief systems and nothing of any value and they pretty much followed up by saying that it's like yeah all we've got is our hardline beliefs and they've not worked before and they're not working now but we've got to keep going one day they might be right eventually the economics will trickle down oh god yeah. <laughs> okay so quick question before we put this on the big list uh -huh. i've never seen a buster keaton film in my life nope same no, it's like we're I, a bunch of film nerds, and not one of us has yeah, seen I, a Buster Keaton. Like I've seen Metropolis <laughs> like several times, all three hours of it, but I've not watched any Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin films. I have oh, never oh, Charlie, Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin rocks. I, I I have yet to see a Marx or a Stooge. Uh, I've seen Marx's No Stooges. I just figured Buster Keaton was another one of those weird American things that American TV writers like Gilbert and Sullivan just uh, all gravitate to weirdly. Um, I mean, like Jackie Chan is really into Buster Keaton, so you'd think I'd want to watch like the originals, but I, I haven't. Yeah. No. I, like, like all I, I know about stunt work is amazing, but I've never seen a full film. Like all I know about the Stooges is from watching like is knowing what a fake shemp is in an evil dead movie. 
<laughs> okay. Wow. Um, so, yeah, if we have a look at our list and see where this goes, like, I'm immediately, you know, the, the immediate comparison is rejoined, mm. really. Yeah. Um, which had some some great soap operatic moments. Like this had some fantastic bits to it. Would you put this? And this is the terrible, the, the wonderful, <laughs> terrible nature of the list of having to weigh all of these against one another. How would you think this this fares next to Rejoined? I I love both. Both of these episodes made me cry for different reasons. Yeah. Um, like. <laughs> I mean, I cry at everything, but still. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's a sign of effective media. Yeah. Ultimately, it, yeah. You know, sometimes it's good when a, something can make it get a little dusty in the room, <laughs> you know? Um, okay. So I, I, I guess if we look at it, there's... There are a few plots going on here. We've got the awkward dinner. We've got the fact that all these overachievers are stressed the fuck out as our B plot and the A plot as Adira having to figure themselves and their symbiont. Except who they are. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, putting that into a literal space with, of course, Michael there. And I admit, I loved... The, I like the new Michael. It's like, oh shit, she can have character growth and opinions mm. on things and a personality. I, I like I, this Michael. I, I, I like the Michael whose who's reaction is to punch something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, Emma and I watched this this very morning and she was like, wow, Michael's changed. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. She gave up. She gave up when Colba died in season two. I was like, yeah, I'm done. He, 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 got, he got better. Uh, I know. He did. I know. I, I think okay. the thing we kind of missed open, we kind of skipped over, is the fact that not only does um, Adira did they have to accept the symbionts, but have to accept that Grey died. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't even really properly express that because that's such a because that's oh that that's the big part of the trauma is to you know accepting all that is about who they are now is to accept the loss of the person they loved. Mm. Yeah. And that's I don't know. I I do wonder if maybe for quantity of things this might be just above rejoined possibly. Yeah. I think it might cuz it's so successful in the things that it wants to do. Mm. And it's got a full plate and it finishes it. Like Oh god, yeah. Impressively like so. Like this whatever happens this will probably be our most highest um rated episode of Di of Disco on the big list. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Talk about where we are with the nineteenth spot. Like I thirty-two is the highest rated Discovery mm. episode And I have. think it deserves to be up there. I really like yeah. Discovery needs some yeah. representation and this is a strong one. Like this is I a really feel that very, way. very this is a very strong episode. Like it has it has a really good you know, despite it, it still suffers from the HBO prestige drama of like of Picard, it does feel like we have an A plot, we have a B plot. I can I can sit down, I can watch this mm. as a complete unit of Trek, and not feel obligated to have to watch the entire season. Yes, that that feels like they've got better at it. I think my biggest criticism is that Discovery can often seem painfully earnest. 
so very there is some of that hushed you know the thing i love about you the thing i it's like i don't get me wrong i'm i'm someone that does use you know i i love my friends i i vibe with using love as a um as a term but it can get quite painfully earnest with it sometimes it's like each episode a value when you hear it in a tv show sometimes it does feel disingenuous Mm-hmm. And but that yeah. just might be we're just too cynical. We're too yeah, cynical probably. for Discovery's beautiful little world where nerds rule. Yeah, yeah, most likely. Okay, so are we saying that this this goes directly above rejoined? Then I, or, um... I, I think you know. I think Celeste, you should have the casting vote. Yeah. Oh God. Um. No, I also think it's above rejoined. I like cool. both but I really uh, think this is a stronger episode. And I, yeah. Okay. All right. And I'm proud to help Discovery get uh, okay, into the, into upper, the top 20. Into the top Definitely. 20. Yes. Yeah, next it's finding an Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, animated series. Um, huh? Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. That'd be another there interesting might be one. Some, there might be some ones there, though. Actually, I think we've done the one with the most reputation, haven't we? With the uh, the one where they get go in the time portal. I thought you were gonna say Giant Spock. I mean, yeah, G- Giant Spock has a, a place in my I heart. I mean, what one has been referred to in Lower Decks and one hasn't, yeah, exactly. But there's it, there's an episode that was written by uh, that that unfortunately falls into the ancient aliens category, but was written by a Native American screenwriter called What Sharper Than the Serpent's oh, Tongue. Yeah, that is a really strong episode. I, I, I can't remember, wait to hear you guys I remember that, that one. one. All right, so no. before we go into wrapping up, Celeste, I gave you a challenge. Yes. Do you have yes. a theme for our next episode? So, in honor of my earliest Star Trek memory, and because uh, it was one that we discussed but didn't end up uh, uh, choosing for this episode, I would like—I think I'd like to see you guys tackle a Borg episode next time. So, take uh, a look at okay. the at our right. our our uh, our robot boys, our, right. our discount Cybermen. All right, uh, a Borg, a second, a second trip back to the you know we've a second trip back to the Borg. Yes, the, okay. the less good Cybermen. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Cybermen are the less good Cybermen. Oh, eighty Cybermen exist. And with that, we are done. Okay, Charlie. His blog is on www.fakedtales.com. You can find my blog at www.mareadlobato.wordpress.com. Celeste. Where can if this is somehow people's first experience with you? Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at YouTube at uh, Celeste is Best, uh, where I talk about um, I mostly talk about mecha anime, but other a lot of other anime from a relatively queer perspective, also like movies that I've watched. Or you can hear me as um, a mess of a trans woman character in the. Uh, Real Play Show, Stormwood and Associates, or hear me on the monthly podcast that this network is named after, Nerd and Tie. Um, I'm one of the hosts there as well. So, All right. uh, or you can find me at Celeste is Best on uh, Blue Sky. Um, 
I still I still post there. <laughs> you, you you can find us on Casual Trek on Blue Sky, and you can find me as M Reed Labato on Blue Sky. If you want to, if you like what we do and wish to request a theme for us or an episode you want us to cover, you can sling us some gold pressed latinum at uh Kof- at our Kofi page which is cash which is oh so casual trek we have a theme and we're going with it and as always no matter where you go there you are go to a starfleet and And be be nice to your sluggo and be nice to your sluggo and live long and have a jelly baby keep on talking in the free world what they said have a good evening You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.